Babylon, but we do live in a dark, dangerous world, and we have an enemy that is seeking to kill, steal, and destroy. And if we're not ready, we're not prepared, he will eat us alive. So if you got your Bible, I want you to hold it up, and I want you to repeat after me. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now take your Bibles and turn with me to Daniel chapter 2 as we continue to walk through this book. And I think you'd agree with me when I say dreams can be strange. Dreams can be so terrifying that you literally believe that if you don't wake up, you're going to die in your dream. And dreams can be so funny that you literally start laughing out loud to the point that you wake yourself up. I've had both of those things happen to me before. But most often when I have a dream, I, I can't seem to remember what the dream is. No matter how hard I try, I just can't seem to remember the dream. Experts tell us that, that we dream between three and six dreams a night. Three to six dreams a night. But they also say that 95% of our dreams are forgotten by the time our feet hit the floor. We don't remember what we dream. Now, and occasionally I'll have some person come up to me and say, Rocky, I had a dream, and, and I want you to tell me what my dream means. And most of the time I'll say, I have no clue. I mean, it may be you ate too much spicy food. It may be you ate too many chicken wings. It may be that you were talking about something, discussing something. You had something on your mind when you went to sleep and you dreamt about those things. You see, we don't really know what our dreams mean. But people throughout history have tried to figure it out. In 1899, Sigmund Freud wrote a book that was entitled The Interpretation of Dreams. 
And in that book, he said, dreams express the unfulfilled wishes of the dreamer's daily life. In other words, what we dream is simply a picture of what we really want to happen in our life. That may be true, but I hope not, because I have some pretty weird dreams. Carl Jung, who was a Swiss psychologist, said this. He said, dreams were rooted in the unconscious mind and could help heal the dreamer if understood properly. In other words, he said, if, if you remember your dream and you get someone to help you understand your dream, it's going to help you heal emotionally and mentally. Again, that may be true, but I'm not so sure. What I do know is throughout history, there have been people who have told us that they know how to interpret our dreams. Well, this morning, what I want us to do is look at a picture that we see in God's Word in chapter 2 of a disturbing dream. A dream that was so disturbing to the king that it put Daniel and his friends in deadly peril. If they were not able to interpret this dream, they were going to die. But God revealed to Daniel the dream. He interpreted the dream. And what we discover is that that dream was a picture of the destiny of world powers and a kingdom that is coming that will never end. And so if your Bibles are open to Daniel chapter 1, we're going to start reading, and we're going to read this entire chapter. We're going to break it up into pieces, but, but as I tried to leave some of this scripture out, I, I just felt like all of it was important for you to hear. And, and so let's start with verse 1. One night, during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams, multiple dreams, that he couldn't sleep. He called in his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, and, and he demanded that they tell him what he dreamed. As they stood before the king, he said, I've had a dream that deeply troubles me, and I must know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, Long live the king. Tell us the dream, and we will tell you what it means. But the king said to the astrologers, I'm serious about this. If you don't tell me my dream, what my dream was... And what it means, you're going to be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. But if you tell me what I dreamed and what the dream means, I will give you many wonderful gifts and honors. Just tell me the dream and what it means. They said again, please, your majesty, tell us the dream, and we will tell you what it means. The king replied, I know what you're doing. You're stalling for time, because you know I'm serious when I say if you don't tell me the dream, you are doomed. So, if you've, so you have conspired to tell me lies, hoping I will change my mind. But tell me the dream, and then I'll know you can tell me what it means. The astrologers replied to the king, no one on earth can tell the king his dream. And no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. The king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell you your dream. And they do not live here among people. Now while Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael were, were still in a training period. It was in the second year of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign. 
King Nebuchadnezzar had a series of disturbing dreams. In other words, he was dreaming the same dream over and over again. And in the Hebrew, what it says is that the dream so disturbed him, it so troubled him that when he dreamed the dream, he would jump up out of bed. He knew his dream meant something. He just didn't know what it meant. And so he called all of his astrologers, all of his magicians, his, his wise men, and he demanded that they tell him what the dream meant. So these wise men said, well, tell us your dream and then we'll tell you what it means. You see, they had developed this elaborate system that helped them interpret dreams. They had these books, and in these books, they, they had pictures. And the pictures meant certain things, and they had symbols, and the symbols meant certain things, and they had words, and the words meant certain things. And, and they would hear the dream, and then they would go to their book, and they would interpret the dream. And usually, they would give such a loose interpretation of the dream that regardless of what they said, it would look like what they were saying was right. But Nebuchadnezzar would have no part of that. He had caught on to their scheme. He realized what they were doing. And so, no, I'm not going to tell you my dream, he said. You're going to have to tell me my dream and then I'll know that you can tell me what my dream means. And Nebuchadnezzar was so furious about this that he said, if you don't tell me my dream, I'm going to have you torn limb from limb. Think of the movie Braveheart. Painful. And he said, I'm going to turn your houses into rubble. In other words, I'm not only going to kill you, everyone in your family, family is going to be killed as well. Now, and I want you to notice what the wise men said in verses 10 and 11. They said, the king's demand is impossible. And I think most of you would agree with that, wouldn't you? I mean, humanly speaking, how can I tell you what you have dreamed? I mean, that's impossible. Even godly Daniel, later on in this chapter, tells us what the king asked is impossible for man. But what you need to understand is this. In this sin-filled world in which we live, life is filled with impossible situations. Write that down. Put it in the margin of your Bible. Life is filled with impossible situations. And those impossible situations, they come in all shapes. They, they come in all sizes. You, an impossible situation may be a sickness that, that you have no cure from. It, it may be the loss of someone you love, someone who is close to you. It, it may be that you work for a horrible boss and, and he is putting impossible demands on you. The truth is that there are hundreds of different impossible situations we can face in this life. And I want you to understand that, that if you haven't faced an impossible situation yet, get ready because you are going to face an impossible situation at some time or another. But this section of Scripture also teaches us something else. It exposes to us that the wisdom of this world is always limited. 
there are certain things that we can figure out. There are certain things we can learn. There are certain things that we can know. But there are other things that we're never going to know fully. And, and the problem is, we have this idea that we can figure anything and everything out. And so we come up with solutions and we come up with answers and we come up with theories for everything in the world. And typically, what happens is what we say is a fact today becomes fiction tomorrow. If you don't believe it, just look back at history, science history, look back at medical history. Just look at history and see how history is constantly changing what is true. My goodness gracious, all you need to do if you don't believe me is just listen to the experts today. I mean, we're in, we're in deep weeds. I mean, we're facing a, a worldwide epidemic, aren't we? I mean, it's real. Some of you here have lost loved ones. Some of you here have been terribly sick. It's real. We know that's real. But the crazy thing is, the experts, they tell us one thing today. And then if we listen and we're paying attention, we're going to discover that next month they're going to tell us something else. And, and the problem is, we're wondering, okay, what is the truth? What do we believe? What do we hold on to? And what you need to understand is when it comes to this world, there are some things that we will just never have complete answers to. We don't know everything. We never will. The Bible says it this way, the secret things belong to God. The revealed things, the things he wants us to know, they belong to man. Let's start back reading in verse 12. It says, the king was furious when he heard this, and he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. Because of the king's decree, men were sent to, to find and kill Daniel and his friends. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. Now let me stop for just a minute. If you are a follower of the one true God, if you have been born again through the blood of Jesus Christ and his spirit lives in you, I want you to hear me. He promises that if we will follow his spirit, he will give us wisdom and he will give us discretion to know how to handle any and every situation we face in life. The problem comes when we handle the situations on our own outside of the leading of the Spirit. So Daniel had discretion and wisdom as he handled this. He asked Arioch, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? So Arioch told him all that had happened. Daniel went at once to see the king and requested more time to tell the king what the dream meant. Then Daniel went home and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, remember those are the Hebrew names for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what had happened. He urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so they would not be executed along with the other wise men of, of Babylon. That night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. And I want you to listen to what he said. He said, praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and all power. 
He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he is surrounded by light. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You have told me what we ask of you and revealed to us what the king demanded. Then Daniel went in to see Arioch, whom the king had ordered to execute the wise men of Babylon. Daniel said to him, don't kill the wise men. Take me to the king, and I will tell him the meaning of his dream. Arioch quickly took Daniel to the king and said, I have found one of the captives from Judah who will tell the king the meaning of his dream. The king said to Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, remember that's his Babylonian name, is this true? Can you tell me what my dream was and what it means? Daniel replied, listen, <laughs> there are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. But, don't miss this, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. So Nebuchadnezzar got so mad that he ordered the death of all of the wise men in the entire kingdom of Babylon. So when the officials came to get Daniel... Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they knew nothing about this because they were still in training. They weren't part of that crew that had gone before the king. They were still under apprentices in this thing. And so when Daniel heard what was going on, he went to the king and he said, just give me a little bit more time and I can give you an answer. And then he went back home to his friends who followed the one true God, and they began to pray. They began to call on the God of heaven and earth, the creator of all things, the one who reveals secrets. You see, these wise men of Babylon, even though they could consult all their books, they couldn't find an answer. But Dan Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they didn't have to look in a book. Because they knew the one who gave the dream. And they went to him and prayed and sought wisdom. And God gave them an answer. You see, our God is the God of the impossible. Listen to what it says in verse 28 again. It says, but there is a God in heaven. With man, there are impossible things. But with God, nothing is impossible. Over and over again, we see this in Scripture. What is impossible for man is possible with God. In the book of Zechariah, God says, all this may seem impossible to you, but is it impossible for me? Jesus said in Matthew 19, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, everything is possible. In Luke chapter 1, it says, for nothing is impossible with God. Listen to me, nothing. Nothing is impossible with God. So what do you do when you're faced with impossible situations? You go to the God of the impossible. You go to the maker of heaven and earth, and you pray. When you are faced with situations you can't handle, you pray. That's what they did. Now, as we read this section of Scripture, we see three 
components of prayer. The first one is petition, asking God. This is when we go to God and we ask God to step into our situation to, to meet our needs, to solve our problems, to give us answers. Jeremiah 33, 3 says this, Call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. The Bible makes it clear over and over again that we have not because we ask not. Here's what I know. If you want to ever see the power of God manifested in you and through you, it is only going to happen when you begin to consistently, boldly, and agonizingly go before the throne of God in prayer, pleading with God. Petition. But then next we see praise. Verses 20 through 24 are filled with praise to the all-knowing, all-powerful, sovereign God of creation. Prayer. Real prayer that comes from a heart that knows God always involves praise and thanksgiving. You can't go into his presence without doing that. But then there's a third thing we see about prayer in this section, and this is submission, yielding to God's will. Daniel recognized that God was on his throne even in the midst of what seemed outrageous, what didn't make sense, what seemed impossible. Daniel knew that God is always moving. He is always working sometime behind the scenes to accomplish his purpose. I want you to listen again to what he says in verse 21. This is important for us today. He, God, controls the course of world events. He, God, removes kings and sets up other kings. I want you to listen to me. I want to get very real with you for a minute. I didn't vote for our president. To be honest with you, I disagree with pretty much everything he has done. I think he is making a debacle of what is going on in Afghanistan. But, here's what I know. He wouldn't be president if God didn't want him president. Do you hear me, people of God? He wouldn't be president if God didn't want him president. I, I want you to, what, what does this say? Don't miss it. God controls the course of world events. Who does? You? Your vote? No, God does. Who removes kings? God does. Who sets up other kings? God does. God is on his throne. He is orchestrating the events of human history to accomplish his purpose. And sometimes we may not understand it. Sometimes we may not even like it. But we need to accept it because God is on his throne and he knows better than we do. Here's our problem. We think that a ruler is always put in place for our good. Sometimes God puts people in a position of authority for our bad, for our judgment, because we deserve it. God's on his throne. And when we pray, I want you to hear me, we pray boldly. We pray consistently, we praise him, we thank him, but in the end, we trust him. We yield to his sovereignty because we know he's on his throne 
And he knows things and he sees things that we don't see. Now before we move on, need to answer another question that this passage and other questions like it, other passages like it raise in our minds. Does God still speak to us in dreams today? I mean, because he did in the Bible, he, he spoke to Pharaoh in a dream, he spoke to Nebuchadnezzar in a dream, he spoke to Mary and Joseph in a dream. I mean, God spoke in dreams. Does God still speak to us in dreams today? And the answer is yes and no. <laughs> the answer is yes and no. Now, let me tell you what I mean. The Bible makes it clear that this book, the Bible, is a completed book. It is a perfect revelation of what God wants us to know. Everything he wants revealed to us is found in this book. That's why we're told multiple times to neither add to nor take from the word of God. And so understand, whenever you have someone tell you, I've got a new word, I've received a new revelation, run! Get out of there. You're in the midst of a false teacher. God doesn't give a new word. He's given us the word. And his word is sufficient for everything we need. But God does still speak to us in dreams at times today. Most often, it's in places where the word of God is not prevalent. It's in places where Christianity is outlawed. If you've ever been in Muslim-controlled countries and you've had opportunity to speak with, with Christians who have become believers from Muslim backgrounds, you will hear over and over again stories of how these Muslims had dreams. Dreams about the Messiah that caused them to seek someone out who could tell them about Jesus. So does God speak through dreams today? Yeah. Is God going to speak to you through a dream today? He might, but, but listen, listen carefully. If God is speaking to you through a dream today, most likely it's because you're not in the Word like you need to be. Do you hear me? Are we tracking? Are we connecting? If God's word is the clear word, if God's word is the final word, why do you need another word? You've got the word. Now let's pick up in verse 28. Goodness gracious, y'all don't listen fast enough. Latter part of verse 28, he, God, has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. So Daniel is saying the dream you've had is about the future. Now I will tell you your dream and the vision you saw as you lay on your bed while your majesty was sleeping. You dreamed about coming events, the future. He who reveals secrets has shown you what is going to happen. And it is not because I'm wiser than anyone else that I know the secret of your dream, but because God wants you to understand what was in your heart. He's giving credit to God. In your vision, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver, its belly and thighs were bronze, its legs were iron, and its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. As you watched, a rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. It, it struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. 
The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. Then the wind blew them away without a trace like chaff on a threshing floor. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. That was your dream. Now we will tell the king what it means. Your majesty, you are the greatest of kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. He has made you the ruler over all the inhabited world and has put even the wild animals and birds under your control. You are the head of gold. But after your kingdom comes to an end, another kingdom inferior to yours will rise to take your place. After that kingdom has fallen, yet a third kingdom represented by bronze will rise to rule the world. Following that kingdom, there will be a fourth kingdom, one strong as iron. That kingdom will smash and crush all previous empires. Just as iron smashes and crushes everything it strikes. The feet and toes you saw were a combination of iron and baked clay. Showing that this kingdom will be divided. Like iron mixed with clay. It will have some of the strength of iron. But while some parts of it will be as strong as iron. Other parts will be as weak as clay. This mixture of iron and clay also shows that these kingdoms will try to strengthen themselves. By forming alliances with each other through intermarriage. But they will not hold together just as iron and clay do not mix. During the reigns of those kings, the iron and clay, the feet, the toes, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness and it will stand forever. That is the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain, though not by human hands, that crushed to pieces the statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. The dream is true, and its meaning is certain. So Nebuchadnezzar's dream was of this huge, gigantic, shining statue. It had head of gold, a chest and arms of silver. It had um, a stomach and thighs of bronze. It had legs of iron and then feet made of iron and clay. And each of those represented kingdoms. Daniel made it clear that the first one represented the Babylonian kingdom. He said, you are the head of gold. But when your kingdom ends, another kingdom will come in that is inferior to you. The Babylonians were taken over by the Mede-Persian Empire. They were a, a combination of Medes and Persians that came together, hence the two arms, the Medes and the Persians, and they ruled. But then another empire came that took them over and conquered them it was the Greek empire the Grecian empire started by Philip and then was taken over by a son Alexander that literally conquered the world and by the way Greek army wore armor of bronze and then after the Greek army there came an empire that seemed to be stronger than any other it was like iron And the Roman army was known as Iron Legions. And they took over the world, crushing everything in its path. This was who was in power when Jesus came to earth the first time. Now in all of that, you can discover very easily just by looking at world history. I mean, you don't don't need to look at the Bible. Just, Just look at world history and you will see everything I said is true. It falls in line with this. And what you need to understand when it comes to prophecy is we can have 2020 insight when we're talking about things that have already come to pass. So it's easy to tell you what that means because that's already come to pass. 
But I don't think it's possible apart from God intervening to have 2020 insight on things that are yet to come. Where God leads things, leaves things a little unclear, we need to understand that they're a little unclear. But I want to tell you what I believe this is. The feet and the toes of iron and clay, I believe that they represent a kingdom that didn't come after Rome was destroyed. I believe it represents a kingdom that has been in the making since the time that Rome was destroyed. And is yet to come to full completion. It is a kingdom, an alliance made up of multiple countries, multiple empires, multiple conglomerates. Ten of those. And those ten are going to come together. And I believe that those ten, when they come together, are going to be ruled by the Antichrist. They're going to rule the world. Now you say, what do those ten toes and those feet of clay and iron, what do they represent today? Well, anything that I say is speculation. But can I tell you that I believe that there are things that are happening today that are setting the tone for this. Can I give you a few? Just a few. The European Union. The European Union is a conglomerate of countries that has come together to form one union. They have one currency. Once you go into a European Union country, you can go into any country without even showing a passport. It's as if they are one. Could the European Union be setting the stage for for this final kingdom? I don't know. That's a possibility. What about the G7 summit? Seven countries that come together and we think we're all that, don't we? We we think we're the we're the sustainers and the protectors of freedom and, and all of that in the world. You only need three other countries. And you've got a conglomerate, a group of countries coming together. Now, I don't know what those countries will be. I don't know when they will come to pass. But here's what I believe. I believe things have changed so quickly in the last 20 years that it is ushering us into the time when Jesus comes back. And what the Bible says is that there is a rock that's going to come And that rock is going to shatter into pieces all the kingdoms of the past. You see, earthly kingdoms come and go. But when the kingdom of God comes, it will last forever. And it's coming. It's coming soon. So my question is, are you ready? And that's not the end of this chapter. I want to give you one other thing. So, so that's the dream. That was the interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar said, this is amazing. This is crazy. Because you've had this ability, I'm going to make you in charge of the entire empire. And then he made Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah the mayors of Babylon. I mean, these Jewish boys were put in charge. I want you to listen to what it says. Then King Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshipped him. And he commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense before him. The king said to Daniel, truly your God is the greatest of gods. Notice what he said. Truly your God is the greatest of gods. The Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this secret. 
All of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man on earth, a pagan king, recognized Daniel's God was the most powerful of all the gods. Had he become a follower of the one true God? No. Not yet. But keep listening to the story. Keep reading the book. And I think you're going to see something absolutely amazing happen. And so what are the takeaways today? First of all, we're going to face impossible situations, but praise God, we who know Jesus serve the God of the impossible, and when we face these situations, we pray and God can intervene. Second, all of human history is moving quickly toward the second coming of Jesus when he sets up his kingdom. And I'm here to tell you that things are going to happen quickly. And if you're not ready, if you're not prepared to meet Jesus, then you're not going to like what happens next. And then third, if God gives you a position to influence someone else with the gospel, you need to take advantage of that opportunity. Because who knows that the person you influence Maybe someone who influences someone else and it ends up influencing the most powerful person in the world. That's what Daniel did. And he did it all for God's glory. So I want you to bow your head. Close your eyes. With your head bowed, with your eyes closed, I want to give you two challenges. One, if you're a follower of Jesus, begin to leverage your influence in the world for his glory. That's your calling. Whether you're a teacher, whether you're, a, 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 you're in law enforcement, you are a lawyer, whether you um, work in a company, God wants you to leverage your positions for his glory. But second, if you don't know him, if you haven't surrendered to the creator of heaven and earth, trusted his son to be your savior, And I want to challenge you to do that today because he's coming soon. And if you haven't received him, it's going to be too late. And you're going to miss all that you were created to receive. And so if you're here and you haven't given your heart and life to Jesus and today you're ready to do that, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me right now. Dear Jesus, I humbly come to you today. Acknowledging I'm a sinner. I've lived life my way. Forgive me. Jesus, I believe you came to this earth. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave, defeating sin and death for me. Today, I'm trusting you to save me. I'm giving my life to you. Fill me with your spirit. Take control of my life. Thank you for hearing me. Amen. Now look at me. If you prayed that prayer in a minute, welcome to God's family. Welcome to God's family.